This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So we are going to continue um, on the lesson that I've been teaching, Restoring the Relationship, God's Redemption Plan for Man. So we've been talking on redemption for a while. Minister Martin came in and he talked on redemption. And so now we're coming in. My part is restoring the relationship. God's redemption plan for man. And if you will, go ahead and turn to John 3, 16. We're going to read some of those uh, verses there. What I want you to look at, we're going to do a quick review tonight and then we're going to get into some new information. But throughout this teaching, what I've been saying is God gives an offer. He presents an offer to us and then it is our response. We accept or we reject that offer. So that's the way it is. Let's go ahead. We're going to read John 3.16 and then we're going to go through 21 and I'm going to show you that in these scriptures. So here we go. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's what God did. That is his offer. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that's what God has done. Now, here is the response. He that believeth on him is not condemned. So the response by man, you can believe it on him, and that, that man is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in Christ. So you can see there's God's offer and then there's man, our individual response to his offer. In this teaching I said the objective is to provide a clear understanding of what God has done for us and what it means to believe the gospel message so that we can have the acceptable initial response and the ongoing response to God's offer. It's just not a one-time thing. This is, this is one time, it's initial, and then it's ongoing. When we looked at this, the thing I want you to remember out of this, well, a lot of things I want you to remember. One thing I said was the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is respond to the gospel message. And the thing about it is, is it's your response. It's totally up to you. No one else can do it for you. You can't do it for anyone else. There's no way you can get around this. It is between you and God. He extends the offer to all of us individually. It's not like a a collective salvation where, oh, one person gets it and then, you know, one get in and one get in free. No. Everybody has to make this decision. There's information that you're given. There's things that happen to you. And God said, but it's still your decision. You can't make it for anybody else. You have to make it for yourself. And then we start talking about Who is the only begotten Son? And what is light? And we went over to John 1 and we said that Christ is the only begotten Son, that He put on flesh, and He is the light, He is the truth, He is God. He couldn't sin, but yet He came to become sin for us so that we could be redeemed. So our sin separated us from God. So when we were separated, when Adam sinned, we were all in Adam, and therefore when He sinned, we sinned. So the sin passed on to us. So therefore, in that sin, we were condemned. When you believe on Christ, guess what? You come out of that condemnation. And those are things that we've talked about. We talked about over in Romans chapter 5 how that when we were without strength, when there was no goodness about us, when there was nothing that we had to offer, when we couldn't do anything for ourselves, God sent his son to pay the price for us. And it wasn't because of what he thought we could be, it was because he loved us. It says that in John 3.16, because he loved us. So, the choice, what God does, he does. And we're going to talk about that tonight. 
Who God is is who he is. The choice is up to you. Now, once again, your response is totally your response, but we do have an adversary. And in the first week, we talked about the adversary a little bit. But the adversary is going to try to get you not to respond the proper way. But he can't stop you. You said it in the confession. He cannot stop you. The only thing that's going to stop you is you. So to make the choice, to make the proper response, we have to know who God is. We have to know what he's done, who he's done it for. How did he accomplish it? How did he do it? And then we're going to look at how do you choose to accept what God has done. The thing about it is, as I was looking over my notes and I was like, man, really and truly, we, we, what I've been explaining these last three weeks was verse 16. And the reason, it, it seemed like I, used, I said a whole lot more than what verse 16, but really what I was going after was there are so many things that stop us from believing what God has really done. There are so many things that we've built up, that people have built up in us, that we've accepted as truth and from God that are not from God. And what we have to do is what has to happen is you've got to recognize those things. You have to identify those things and you have to make sure those things are pulled out, swept out, and then the right information has to be put in. So you can't keep, up, you can't keep the wrong thing in your mind and think that you're going to have right results. It's, it's, we go back to the sower and the seed. You can't plant an un, a seed of untruth and get truth. You can't plant a lie and expect to get truth. You can't plant death and expect to get life. So how do you know that what you're thinking is wrong? That's when we talk about the light. The word of God comes in and he shows us these things. He, he identifies, wait a minute, this is who I am. And the thing about it is when the word of God comes in, and he shows the light. You know, it's really not hard to tell what's dark then. You know, you'll hear people say, stop preaching at their darkness. Well, if you just, sometimes if you just tell people what's right, they'll see what's wrong. So we have to know what's right. If you don't know what's right, you'll believe anything. And let me tell you, it's a lot of stuff that sounds right for a little while. But when you have the truth of God, when you let his light come in, you will see who he really is and what he's really done. In that, we talked about we can't worship the creator more, excuse me, we can't worship the creature more than the creator. We're not to worship ourselves. And a lot of times we think that, well, I don't worship myself, I don't do those things. But what you do, what you worship is what you answer to. And I was thinking about this. A lot of people, they can't go on with God because of their emotions. I feel a certain way. I feel upset. I feel sad. I feel like people have said something about me and it hurt my feelings. You know what you're worshiping? If your feelings have the last say, guess what? You're worshiping your feelings. You're worshiping your emotions. So you're worshiping yourself, basically. If all those things, if you can't go on, if God says, do this, and you say, I can't, God, because I'm sad right now. I'm having a hard day. Haven't you seen, God? It's a pandemic. It's a fire. It's a hurricane. I just don't know. God is like, you think I didn't know that? I, I, I know that. But, but what will happen is we'll take those things and we will make ourselves subject to those things. What do I mean by I'm subject to those things? So let's say all, all those things are going on and you're sitting at home and you're watching the news or maybe you've turned the news off. Maybe you're like, I'm not going to watch the news. I'm not going to do any social media because I need that out of my head. But you're still sitting there thinking about those things. And, and you never thought, I'm thinking about it. Why don't I pray about it? Why don't, and you're, all of your actions, you're, you're short with people. You won't, you're, you're like, oh, I'm just depressed. I'm just going to sit in the house. I'm not going to do anything. Because now you made your emotions an idol. You set that above what God has called you to do. You set it above his plan. You set it above his word. That's what I mean when you, when you worship the creature more than the creator. We also talked about how we take our standards of salvation. We take our standards and we'll say, oh, well, you know, if you don't do this, oh, you don't, you don't, you, you have a church in a storefront. You don't have a church with, with columns and a steeple. Well, there's no way you can be saved. Oh, well, you do this. You have this name. We make all these things and we say that that's God, but that's not God. And we talked about over in Matthew 6 how if you think you're darkness, if you think that which is not God 
is light, then how great is your darkness? We looked at how internal and external influences cause us to worship the creature more than the creator. Cause us to take our standard and say that that's the standard of God. Because what happens is people in our lives, whether they are people that have uh, been placed in delegated authority, there are positions that maybe we look up to, maybe they are friends, maybe they are loved ones. They live a certain way. They tell us things from their mouth or through their actions that don't line up with God. So we take that because of who they were or where they, the place they hold in our lives, and we think that that's God. And then we take those things and we build up what we call God or what we call uh, being a believer. And we take that in our mind and we make kind of our own little web and that's what we will call God's standard. But that's not the truth. What we have to do is we have to live on the things of God. So we take these experiences, we take the things, we take the things we've heard and we build them up. So when we take our opinion, the opinions of men and exalt them over the truth of God, you submit your thoughts and your actions and your opinion, uh, your actions to these opinions, you're bowing your life down to them. You're worshiping the creature instead of the creator. And I think I was talking about, you know, you don't have to check with your culture. You don't have to check and say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Texas girl, so what do Texas girls believe? No, you don't know. The standard of God is the standard of God. Your culture is your culture. Let me tell you, things change. Things change. Things have changed since I was 15 years ago. Things have changed. 10 years ago, things have changed. Culture has changed. The way you live has changed. The things that are acceptable for your demographic has changed. But God doesn't change. So who do you check? Well, you check with God. You check and you stay with his standard. We said that we, we build those up and they become high places. What that is, is they are high. You can't get to them. It's hard to get to them. They're set up above everything else. And we are bowing down to them. And that's make, making a mess of everything. Because what we're saying, what we should be bowing down to is God. But we're bowing down to those things that we've created and we've said are higher than God. So what we have to do is we have to pull those things down. We have to find out the standard of God, lift his standard up, and do what he said do. So that high place, it belongs to God and no one else. So if that high place belongs to God, we have to make sure that we have the right perception. We have to know who God is. We can't rely on, we need to rely on the word of God and what he reveals to us. But sometimes when we, and I've said this earlier, we've gotten the wrong information or we've misheard. Or we have just kind of made it up as we go. You know, it's just like, oh, I like that. That sounds like what God should be. And that's not what it is. So um, I said we wanted to make sure. We, I asked you, is God who you think he is? And we talked about how we describe God as men. We use words that we understand because that's, that's how we have to understand it. But God is greater than any of the words that we use. We have to use things that we understand so that we can understand it. It's putting a frame of reference around it. But let me tell you, God really blows that frame away. He comes in. He shows us God is great. He's greater than we know. He's greater than we can accept all of him. We can't do it. So he shows us pieces. And he shows us pieces. And we build on it. And we build on it. So we have to find a way to communicate that. And that's how he communicates with us about him. He's infinite. We're finite. Like I said, we can't contain everything of who he is. But he's infinite. He's the creator. We're the creature. God is not a man. And we have to, we have to, we have to make sure we understand that. We cannot think that God thinks like us. That's the thing about it. We're to think like God. God is not to think like us. We hear a lot about this, God is on this side, he's on that side. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, you are going to either be on God's side or you're not. Okay? God is not going to be like, oh, well, I like what Kelly's doing. I'm going to jump over there on her side. No, no, no. That's not how it happens. That's not how it works. It's God's side or not God's side. 
If you line up on God's side, then you are in his plan and you are in his will. But all of this, God's on this side. No, no. All of that, you can just drop that. When you hear that kind of stuff, just, just be like, whoa, wait a minute. It's, it's, some, it's a mess coming after that. Because we are on God's side. Understand that. We align with his purpose. We align with his plan. He doesn't come over to us. He's not a man. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't have second-class citizens. He doesn't have, oh, well, we'll let them in just because. Oh, well, I like them, but uh, I like these people more. All of that stuff. That's the way men think. That's not who God is. God's not going to turn away anyone who seeks him. But to seek God, I have to acknowledge that I'm wrong. That I've sinned and then I have to change my mind and my heart about sin. That means I repent. We're going to talk about this later on in the teaching. But we have to make sure that we're not just having a work. There has to be a heart change to produce the work. And we're, we're going to explain that later on. But the thing about it is, you, you may be sorry that you got caught doing the sin, and you think that that's repentance, but that's not repentance. Repentance starts in your heart. That means I want to turn away from those things that are not of God, and I want to turn towards God. So we can't try to make God a man. And so many times we've seen... You know, as I was studying this teaching, one of the reasons that I really wanted to go over and just point by point showing you some things about God is so many people have used God in the wrong way. The best way to say it is they lied on God. They said God said this, God did that, this is what he does, this is how he acts, he's out to get you, and if you don't do this, this, and this, he's going to get you and blow you up. No, that's not, that's not how it works. But so many people have weaponized him. They've used him to make other people smaller. They've used God's name and said, this is God, and it's not God. So all this time, you know, and I told you, sometimes it's done on a grand scale, but sometimes we use it on a personal level, like in friendships. You know, you, you want to make yourself feel better than somebody, so you kind of put them down with your religious talk. But that's not God. God's not in any of that. The thing about it is when, when, when we do that, when people do that and they portray God that way, it leads people not to be able to trust. But we can trust God because that's not who he is. So we said trust is to believe in God, and I said believe in him to the point of reliance and dependence on. If you believe in the wrong thing, what you're trusting in is wrong. So if you believe that you have a weak relationship or a broken relationship with God, you, you won't trust him because you believe that he won't do it for you. Maybe because you did something wrong or maybe you just believe the wrong thing and you don't think that God loves you that much. There's no way God could love me that, that much to do what she's saying, that he gave his only begotten son for me. Maybe he did it for some other people, but not for me. But that's not the truth. The relationship, there was a problem with our relationship with God, but guess what? He sent Jesus, and that fixed the relationship. All you have to do is believe. Remember, God gave the offer. All you have to do is accept the offer. Also, you won't trust God if you think he's going to disappoint you. And we were talking about this last week, about we hear words, once again, the words that we use to describe God. We'll say, Father. We'll say that he is our savior. And you'll say things, and these are things, the word father, sometimes that's loaded for people because maybe they didn't have a good relationship with their father. And they'll think, well, I couldn't trust my father, and if God's the father, how can I trust him? Well, see, the thing about it is you can't let the unfaithfulness of man think that God will be unfaithful. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about God being faithful. And it doesn't matter who has been unfaithful. God is faithful. Then we talk about you won't trust God if you don't think he's looking out for your best interest. 
And I kind of said that earlier. You think God may do it for other people, but he won't do it for you. Or maybe, like I said earlier, you may have done something wrong and you feel, oh, I'm unworthy. God won't do it for me. But you have to realize that's that's not God. If you did something wrong, there's repentance. God still has repentance for you. Repent. Get it right. And one of the things we talked about was that unmet, unmet expectation. There was something that you believed God was going to do. And most of the time, in most cases, well, all cases, if there was something that you believed that God was going to do and he didn't do it, it was something you got wrong. Something you believe, maybe you said, I think I used the example, God, if I tithe, you'll fix my finances. So you tithe, but you don't budget, you don't do anything else differently, you just tithe. And you think things are going to change. No, God never said that. So now when that doesn't happen, you think that God did you wrong. So now that trust is broken. And it's not because God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. It's because you had the wrong information. You believe the wrong thing. So now you have an unmet expectation of God. But you got to clear that up. Once again, the light is coming in. It's exposing these things. And it's saying, hey, that's not how it is. Let's get it fixed. So you have to change your perception of God. You have to align your perception of God with who he is. God reveals himself to us through his word. So what we have to do when he reveals himself to us through his word, we have to say, Wait a minute. Okay, we'll use the same example that I was on earlier, the tithing example. So I thought God would fix my finances because I tithe. Now, I'm finding out right now, based on what I've been hearing, that's wrong. So now, first of all, I've got to, okay, I've got to say, I'm wrong, God. I was wrong. Forgive me for having that wrong thought. That's the first thing you got to do. Because if you keep it and say, I'm right, that's your darkness being light. That's what that means. So now I've got to take the wrong thought and say wrong. i got to label it wrong, wrap it up wrong, throw it out. Make sure you put wrong on it so when it tries to come back in, say, no, you're wrong. Now I've got to take the real thought. I've got to take who God is that he's revealing to me through his word. I have to take that thought. And now I have to meditate on that thought so it gets in my mind so it replaces the wrong thought. That's what's called renewing your mind. So the thing about it is a lot of us, We'll find out that what we've done or what we've thought is wrong, but we won't find out what's right. We'll say, well, that, that's wrong. I can't do it anymore. You're going to do something. Let me tell you, your mind has space for thoughts. You're, you're going to do something. So you have to, do, you have to find out what to replace the wrong with. So God is going to reveal himself to us through his word. God is who he is. I don't have to ask God to be who he is. I don't have to ask God to be faithful to me because he's just faithful. I don't have to ask God to be my sufficiency. I just have to trust that he's my sufficiency. I just have to believe that. And remember, I rely on trust is reliance on, it's dependence on. God does not change. So then last week we started talking about some of the characteristics of God. We said that he is the Lord. He's all power, Lord of all power and might. And that is material and spiritual. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the sole God and ruler of the world. The absolute monarch of this universe. He's omnipotent. That means unlimited power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's omniscient. He knows. And sometimes we say he knows all, but he just goes outside the all. He just, every time I, I mean, every time I read these things, I'm like, God, you, I don't even, there's nothing I can say. He's just God. He is the highest, his power, mercy, mercy, and sovereignty. And his sovereignty is his supreme power and authority cannot be matched. He is above everything and everyone. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this again. I'm going to read it slow. Write it down, and then I'm going to tell you why I want you to write it down after you write it down. So he is the most high God. He is the highest. His power, mercy, and sovereignty, which is his supreme power and authority, cannot be matched. He is above everything and everyone. So... 
If you believe that, when things come up in your life, you realize that those things don't stand against God. As my daddy used to say, they don't hold a candle to him. So you don't really have to be all messed up because whatever it is, what everything and everyone, God is higher than. He's the everlasting God. He's the God of eternity. The God without a beginning. The God who will never cease to be. The God who will never grow old to whom eternity is what present time is. He is self-existent and uncreated. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. He extends beyond our greatest, greatest vision of who we think he is. So, you know, I, I think about things and, you know, sometimes you just call to remember the goodness of God in your life. And then you realize, man, he feels so good. He, it's like, wow, he, he, he never runs out. He extends beyond our greatest vision. He stands outside of our temporal events of history. So they don't even, time, you have to understand this, time does not affect God. He stands outside of time. He's absolutely self-existing. He possesses eternal life and permanent existence. So what we have to realize is, you know, just think, this is like us. And then God is like way, 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 way up there. So it's 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 not comparable. So that's why we can't think of God like a man. We just have to let him tell us who he is, and then we have to trust in that. And the thing about it is, when God tells you who he is, not only does he tell you who he is, but he shows you who he is. So sometimes, you know, like when I was studying this out, I would read these things and I would say, yes, God, I've seen you in that. I've seen, I've seen that in my life. I've seen how you're greater than everything. I've seen, you know, because it talks about God being everlasting. It's uh, as, as uh, what's happening now is just like eternity to him. Sometimes we pray about things and we think God doesn't hear us. But you see, God's not working on our timeline. God's not looking at it like we look at it. And then you see how God, you're like, well, God, I thought you were going to do it. See, that's that unmet expectation. You put God on your timeline. And God said, I don't have a timeline. I'm greater than time. So that's what we, just think about it. Just take some time and meditate on the things that God has done in your life. How he's seen, how you've seen him strong in your life. And you'll see he's not, he's not done yet. So now we're going to get into the new information. He's the God of covenant. So what is that? What is that? He keeps his promises. Go over to Hebrews chapter 6. And you know, I was looking at this and you know, sometimes um, my, my job is to analyze things. So I'm an overthinker just in nature. So I was like, well, why would, why would people would say, well, why does it matter if he's a covenant God? Why does it matter if he keeps his promises? Why that matters is if he says something, that means he's going to do it. You don't have to worry about it. If he says he's going to do it, you don't have to worry about it. So like I can say, I'm going to bake you some cookies and bring them to you next week. You, if you think that I'm trustworthy, that I'm a covenant keeping person, you believe that I'm going to make you those cookies. But guess what? I can break my covenant. I'm a person. I can get sick. I can, you know, my oven can break. Anything could happen. But God, those things don't, that's not even him. He keeps his promises. So what is a covenant? A covenant isn't a contract or an agreement by two parties. Covenants can create relationships. So we're learning about uh, in our premarital class. This is just an aside, a little note. Covenant, you know, what marriage is, it's a covenant creates that relationship but the thing about a covenant it is only as secure as the integrity of the parties involved in the covenant process so I'm going to read that again and remember the pre- now in this teaching I'm talking about here but I'm giving you a little extra to put in with your premarital class a covenant is only as secure as the integrity of the parties involved in the covenant process. So, 
over in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm actually going to read this from the New Living Translation. And I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable, unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So, a covenant is only as secure as the integrity of the parties involved in the covenant process. So what did God do? He kept covenant with himself. He said, I'm going to swear by myself because there's no greater. So if God doesn't keep his promises, guess what? He stops being God, and that's not going to happen. Because God has bound himself to his people, swearing by his own nature and his integrity, there's no need for us to fear that any of the promises that he's ever made will fail. When God promised to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own, own reputation on the line. He said, look, if, if I don't do this, then I'm not God. So we can depend on God because of his unchanging character and his promises. And I like that in that last verse. And um, here it says, so God has given, well, what it is, therefore we who have fled to him for refuge, those who believe, those who have come to him and said, God, you have what I need. Those are the ones that he's, that, that promise is for. He keeps his promises. So therefore we call him faithful. So God is faithful. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And we say this all the time. God is faithful. What does that mean? He can be trusted. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. So Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to look at just verse 9 here. It says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You know what? When I read these scriptures, you see how good God is. You see what he does. And then once again, he tells you, well, what are you going to do? Where, where's, your, where's your response? God is who he says he is. He's done and going to do. Actually, he's already done it. It's just coming to pass. We're just coming to fruition in our lives. But he's, that's going to be done. We're the wild card. We're the variable. So it says here in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. So that's the response. That's the response. Do you love him? Do you keep his commandments? Then he is the merciful God. He is a faithful God. He's merciful and he's faithful no matter what you do. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's merciful. He's faithful. God is faithful. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Guess what? You don't have to believe. Like I said, you don't have to believe. There are people who do not believe. But guess what? God is still faithful. He's not going to deny himself. His faithfulness is not dependent on any circumstance. It's not dependent on any situation. He's faithful. He's merciful. Go over to um, Psalms chapter um, 86. So God is merciful. 
Psalms chapter 86, we're going to look at verse 15. But thou, O Lord, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. So when you look at these scriptures that I'm reading, I'm pulling, most of the time I'm pulling one thing out of it. But if you notice, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. So you're seeing, I'm not telling you everything that God is. Like I said, God is going to, we, we cannot contain it. I, I, we don't have time to explain it to you. And then God's still always revealing more and more to each of us as to who he is and who his character is. But right now we're talking about mercy. He's merciful. So what is merciful? Merciful is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of of him who receives it. So merciful is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it. And it um, assumes that the person who is providing it or the resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. So what it is... The person who shows mercy assumes there's a need in the person that they're showing it to. And the person who shows mercy assumes that they can meet that need. It is to feel the sympathy, feel sympathy with the misery of another, especially sympathy manifested in action. So, when you think about God, he's merciful towards us. He sees our need. He sympathizes with us. He sees what's going on. He saw us in sin. And he said, you know what? I can handle that. I've got the resources adequate to meet that need. And he's merciful. And you think, I was thinking about that. And his mercies are new every morning. So guess what? In the morning when you wake up, those new mercies are there. God says, I, I, I know you're going to have a need, but guess what? I can meet those needs. Don't worry, I got it. In addition to being merciful, he's the God of all comfort. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to read verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that when we, excuse me, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, that's, that's just amazing. He's full of mercy. So when we need comfort, there it is. That's his mercy. He sees we need comfort, so he comes in with that comfort. And you know, the thing about it is God, when he comforts us, he gives us enough comfort to give to somebody else when we see them in need. He is amazing. God is who he says he is. And last week I left you with this statement. And I said, is there anything or anyone that can keep God from fulfilling his plan or keeping his promise? Now, like I said, I went over these things. And once again, God is much more. These are just things we're doing in this lesson, in this appointed time. But God is much more. If God is who, he, who these things are, if you believe that, is it happening in your life? Are you believing that? Are you trusting that? Are you relying on that? So we have to stop thinking that God is who we want him to be. We have to pull down all the stuff that we've made God, all, all the lies we believe, all the lies we've told ourselves. And we have to let God reveal himself to us. And then we have to believe and trust him, rely on what he's told us, who he's told us he is. The thing about it is, you're not going to be able to understand who God is unless you're intimate with him. Unless you spend time with him. See, the thing about it is, you can come here, you can join the live stream and you can listen to these things and they will convict you. They will come in and they will show you where you're wrong. But the thing about it is, you've got to spend some time after this. This is a lifestyle. Like I said, it's the initial response, but then it's the ongoing response. 
You may say on Wednesday nights and Sunday, you may be listening to the word. You may be saying it's good. You do good that whole day. And then the next day you go back to those old thoughts. You go back to those old habits. That, that's not being intimate with God because let me tell you, if you take that, you take that word that you got on Wednesday, you take that word you got on Sunday and you spend time with it. You pull away. You know, I was thinking about uh, Moses when he saw the burning bush. The thing about it is everybody said, oh, Moses saw the burning bush. Yeah, Moses saw the burning bush. He was doing something when he saw that burning bush. And he saw the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. What that is, is you see something that should be happening, but it's not happening the way you think it should. So Moses had the opportunity to keep walking. But you know what? He pulled away. He looked at it. He took the time to stop and examine. And that's what God is saying. I need you to take some time. I need you to stop. I need you to get rid of all of the distractions. And I need you to spend some time with me. Not with who you think I am, but but who I'm revealing myself to you as. That, that's what God wants you to do. We, we, you've been hearing about it uh, in family life about being intimate with God. That's being intimate with God. God already knows about, all about you. Let me tell you, when you, if you become intimate with God, he's going to tell you some things about you that you didn't know. But you're going to have to be intimate with him. Go over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 10. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into and is safe. So, the name of the Lord. So, like, if you go back and, and what I was telling you, like, when I was telling you God is faithful, he's merciful, he is the most high God. If you go and look that up, it'll tell you, it'll give you names of God. And it'll give you a specific name of God. So, the name fits the characteristic. So, what is the name of the Lord, though? What, what is that? I said he has, there's names and their characteristics, but what is the name of God? It's his manifested perfections. It's what he's revealing and manifesting to you. He's always that. You just may not have seen it. So that's why you've got to spend time with him. That's why you've got to, got to take that time. You've got to find out who he is. You've got to get rid of all the noise. You've got to pull down all the wrong thoughts. You've got to pull down all that wrong teaching and all those wrong things about God. And you've got to let him come in and let his light come in and manifest himself to you. God... He, is, he transcends all time and space. He's self-existing. And he's a place of refuge and safety for those who believe in him. That's the righteous. That's who the righteous are. Go over to Ezekiel chapter 36. So God is who he says he is. He's, he is who he says he is. There's no question about it. You may not believe it. But he is who he says he is. He's going to do. He has done what he's going to do. So what is it that God has done? So we saw in verse uh, John chapter 3 verse 16 that he sent his only begotten son. So let's look at that a little bit more. So we're going to look in Ezekiel chapter 36. I don't really know how my time goes that fast. Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to look at verse 23. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of all of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. I like this scripture because God's like, hey, I'm going to sanctify my name. You may have profaned it, but guess what? I'm going to show, I'm going to show other people who I am through you because I'm going to change you. So verse 24 says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols and I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep them, keep my judgments and do them. So what God has done is he's provided a way for us to come out of that condemnation. Now, earlier I was saying how people have, have the, the word here says profaned. They've lied on God. They've said God is all those things. But guess what? God still saves. If you've been in that position, you've said things and you've done that. you said things that God didn't say and all those kind of things. But guess what? God is saying, you know what? I can still save. I'm still, I'm still say, I'm, I can, I, as they used to say, I'm still in the saving business. God is like, I can save. I will save. There's no one that God does not want to save. There's no one that God cannot save. The only reason that people aren't saved or they're not redeemed, they're not restored, they don't receive salvation, they're not born again, however you want to say it, is because they refuse it. The offer is there. The only reason that, is not, that it doesn't work is because you refuse it. God is, like I said, God is who he is. He's going to do what he's going to do. He set it in motion. The, the, the thing that's stopping, we're the wild card. We're the variable. It's your response to what he's done. So salvation, restoration, redemption, what God has done, he's done it by Jesus Christ. It's so simple. It's so simple. And the thing about it is we can't, I talked about it earlier, we can't try to change what God has done. You can try, but it's not going to work. God's not going to accept something different. He's already set it up. Go over to John chapter 10. Salvation comes only by Jesus Christ. That's it. The way God set it up is the way it is. So John chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10. It says... Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they, that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus is the way. There's nobody else. There's no other way to the Father but through the Son. Go over to, yeah, let's look at John 14. Let's flip over to John 14. We're going to read verse 6 here. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. There's no other way. No matter what everybody else says, this is what this is the standard of God. This is the standard of God. If you I know people you hear a whole lot of stuff, there's a whole lot of stuff going on, you don't you, you can't really figure it out, just go back to the standard of God. Go back to the standard of God. If it's not lining up with the standard of God, then no, it's not God. God, God's not confused. Like I said, the re, you know, God is who He is. He does things the way He does things. He gives us one way to salvation, so we won't get confused. So here's a good example. If you give me two ways to get to your house, like if you show me, like the first time I come, you tell me to come one way, then the second time I come, I go another way. The third time, I'm not getting to your house because I'm going to be confused. Because there are several different ways you gave me. But God says, here's the way to salvation. There you go. The same salvation, the same way to salvation for me is the same way of salvation for my great-grandmother. There will be for generations to come. It's not going to change. Let's flip back over to John 3. We're going to get to verse 17 here. So, Salvation only comes by Jesus Christ. So, verse 17, John 3 and 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So there you go. So, the Father didn't send the Son 
to accuse you and to tear you down. It's the exact opposite. Just because somebody says you do something wrong does not mean they're accusing you and tearing you down. That the, knowing, understanding that you're wrong or being you're wrong being shown to you is actually getting you in position to be right. So Jesus was not sent to condemn you; he was sent to condemn sin. We get a little confused, and this is where I wanted to get to tonight. And we're going to stay here probably tonight and next week. We get a little confused with condemnation. And maybe being, we, we may say conviction or judged. And we don't really understand what's happening. So let's read verses 18 through 20. So still in John chapter 3, we're going to read 18 through 20 now. He that believeth on him is not condemned. And this is Jesus. Remember, he that believeth on Jesus is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. So here we have this word condemnation. And like I said earlier, just because somebody tells you that you did something wrong, they may not even tell you personally, but you may hear something in the word. You may hear something in the teaching that you're doing and it is wrong. And you say, well, they're condemning me. They're judging me. No. So earlier on, and I think I didn't say it this week, but in these scriptures here, in the beginning... Um, in verse 16, it talks about perishing and everlasting life. And I told you that those two things transcend our time here. It is final. They are, they are things that continue after this lifetime. Condemnation goes with the perishing. So condemnation is a final judgment. It comes because of sin. So let's go back over here and look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So here's the thing. If you don't believe, you're condemned. If you do believe, you are not condemned. So notice what it didn't say in there. It didn't say if somebody told you you did something wrong, you're condemned. That's not what it said. What it says is if you don't believe. So condemnation happens when you don't believe. Now, there's another thing in here. Let's look at verse um, 20. So that's condemnation. So, so keep that, and we're going to keep talking about it. But keep that in your mind. So verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So, those who don't believe, they do evil, they hate the light, they don't come to the light because they don't want their deeds reproved. What does that word reprove mean? It means exposed. It means refute or to prove false. It shows one's fault, implying that there is a convincing of that fault. So what that is, reprove means... It shows you your fault, but not only does it show you your fault, but it convinces you that you have that fault. Another word we use is convict or conviction. So there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Now, let me tell you, these people in verse 20 that don't want to come to the light because they don't want their deeds reproved, if they change their mind, guess what? They're out of condemnation. If they decide to believe, but get, you know what's going to happen though? The light's still going to come in. Their deeds are still going to be reproved, but now they're just letting the light in. So this conviction, this reproving, it occurs when the light comes into darkness. 
Conviction is the result of seeing that where you are does not meet the standard. And when I say the standard, it's the standard of God. So, this is, this is one you hear a lot. Homosexuality. What, what does God say about it? He says it's wrong. So, if I say that, now you're like, well, that's hateful speech and you're condemning me. No, I'm not condemning you. What I'm doing is I'm showing you God's standard. Now, what you do with that, you do with it. Once again, God puts it out there and you say, well, this Castillo, you said that. Well, God is telling me to tell you. So, God puts it out there, now you respond to it. That feeling you have is not condemnation. When the condemnation comes, when true condemnation comes, there's no getting away from it. So now you need to believe and you need to let the light come in and reprove you of that darkness. So just because your wrong is exposed, it doesn't mean that you're condemned. I remember one thing, I I used to think this, you know, I said all, all the light... And it's going to expose things. I always thought, oh my God, everybody's going to know all the bad stuff I've done. No, that's not what it means for the light. It means the light's going to come in. It's going to show you that it's wrong. You may be sitting in here. And you know, it's happened to me. I'll be sitting here. I'm like, oh my God. I'm so, oh God, I didn't know. And you're like, oh God. Or maybe I did know. And I just, now I need to change. And I think everybody's looking at me. And then I'll talk to somebody after service and they'll be like, oh, my God. And you're like, wait, it was you too? But they wouldn't have known about me and I wouldn't have known about them. That's not how God's doing you. God's not doing that. God's like, I just want to correct it. I'm not, I'm not putting all your business out in the street like that. But see, those are wrong teachings or wrong things that we put in our mind. The enemy sowed those seeds so that we will stop that conviction. So that when we hear those things, when God sends that light in, he sends his truth in, we'll just block it out because I don't want to know. No, God said, no, let the light in. Because I want you to be able to come back. I want you to be able to change. You can't change unless you know what you're going to change too. Here's the thing. If you do, let's say, you're doing something wrong. And you say, I'm going to stop doing that wrong thing. But then you go do something, a different wrong thing, you're still not right. You gotta know the right thing to do. That's why you gotta let the light come in. You got, you gotta let, you gotta let God be God in your life. So, when the conviction comes, when the light comes in, it's an opportunity for you to repent. It's an opportunity for you to get it right. So God is light. We can't separate the light when it comes in. So, here it is. You hear the gospel. You believe, oh God, you sent your son for me. I repent. I believe in you. I I, I don't want to be in condemnation. I don't want to perish. I want everlasting life. Oh God, that's so great. But God, I don't necessarily want your standard. I I want everlasting life, but I don't want to show you, I don't want you to show me when I'm wrong. God, I don't want you to judge me. And, and you know, that's, that's the one. Stop judging me. Don't judge me. Listen, and you know, if people go over to, we're not going to go to it, but people go over to Matthew chapter 7. Read all of Matthew chapter 7 next time. Because you know what? If you read it all, don't, don't get part of the conversation. That's the best way to look like a fool is to get part of the conversation. Get it all and see what God is saying there. Because that's not what actually he's saying. He's saying, don't be hypocr- a hypocrite. Don't you be doing one thing and then telling somebody else not to do another thing. That's what God is talking about. The thing about it is, if we don't, if, if there's not a judgment, in this case, it's to just discern what's right and wrong. And the thing about it is, somebody's going to have to tell you what's right and wrong. Somebody's going to. If you don't, you're always going to be going wrong. You're going to have to let the light come in. Let's go over to First um, Corinthians chapter 11. Condemnation and conviction are not the same thing. You can have conviction without condemnation. Condemnation comes when you refuse to respond properly to the conviction. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read verses 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, 
we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And I know you're thinking, well, it says if we judge ourselves. How are you going to judge yourself if you don't know the standard? So what are you going to judge yourself by? Your standard? Your standard, now you're worshiping the creature, not the creator. Once again, this is one whole big lesson. I know we're, skipping, we're doing it over weeks, but this is whole, one whole big lesson. So you've got to know God's standard. When God sends the standard to you, when you hear his word, you're going to spend time with him. We just I talked about it earlier, spending time with him, being intimate with him, taking out what you thought he was that was all wrong and letting him tell you who he is. Then you can say, oh, God, now I can determine, I can see, I can judge that this thing is not of you that I was doing. This heart that I had, this attitude is not of you. Now I can see what you're telling me I should be and I can do that because you've changed me. That's what you can, that's judging yourself so you won't be condemned with the world. So you can see there that there's a difference in judging yourself, judging and condemnation. It says it right there. There are two different words that we use right there. Condemnation says that there's no hope. Conviction says I see the standard and I see I don't meet the standard. The thing that comes after or should come after conviction is repentance. A lot of times when conviction comes, when God shows us, hey, this is this right now what, where you're at, I'm, I'm bringing some light into this darkness. I'm showing you this is not right. This is not right. Don't do that. This, this is how it should be. What we do is we run away from God. We pull away. And what God is saying is, I want you to repent. So this is the thing about repentance. Repentance is you have to change your mind about that thing that he's convicting you about. You have to say, God, that's wrong. That's sin. I don't want that. So I have to change my mind and my heart. And then I have to turn towards him and say, God, I want what you want. I want my thoughts to be your thoughts. I want my deeds to be like you. That's what you do when conviction comes. And the thing about it is your repentance, we've heard this, your repentance is to God. Your repent, you may have to apologize to men, but you repent to God. So don't allow yourselves to let the conviction wane. Is that a good word? Because what will happen is the, you'll, you'll get used to that and you will, you'll just push it away. And God's trying to do something. The thing about it is, you know, you're holding on to these things and you're wondering why, why your life's not going the right way. Or even if you think it's going the right way, it's still just that little bit of something that you know is not right. And usually it's a big bit of something, but you just pretend it's a little bit of something. It's because you're pushing that conviction away. And God is saying, no, no, you can, you can do this. You can do this. The thing about it is we don't have to do this in our own power. Now, again, we talked about some characteristics of God earlier. So if you believe that God is merciful and he sees your need and he's adequate, he has the resources adequate to meet that need and he's going to provide for you, when you need something after that conviction and you repent and you need his help, do you think he's going to not give you his help? Do you think he's going to forego giving you his help? No, God is saying, no, I wanted you to do that so I could help you. I couldn't help you in the sin. I needed you out of the sin. I needed you to repent. So now I can help you. Now I can do what I needed to do. But what has to happen is you have to stop thinking because somebody tells you that you're wrong, that they're after you. Look, look, if people were after you, they could figure out better ways to get you than, than, than in teaching. Or they're telling you you're wrong. It's a lot of ways to, like I said, God doesn't want retribution. God's servants don't want retribution. That's not, that's not how it goes. Once again, if somebody's after you, they figure out a more direct way to get to you than this. This is very indirect. Nobody says your name. Nobody calls you out like that. It's not even like that. So what you have to do is you have to realize that this is coming from God. It's coming because he wants to be merciful to you. He wants to help you. He's bringing his light into your life to let that darkness go. So let the light come in. Let it reprove those works. 
so you can believe, so that you can walk in what he's doing, so that you can be one of those, the righteous, that get his safety, that get his peace. You can't do that when you're all out of place. But you have to have the proper response to conviction. Once again, I, I can't, we're going to finish this up next week, but I cannot stress to you, you cannot think that condemnation and conviction are the same thing. You cannot think that when someone tells you something that is not the standard of God, that you're doing wrong, that something is sin. And, and you know, maybe they did know that you were doing it. Maybe they did know you were doing it, but they told you it was sin. It's still out of love so that you can come out of that thing. Because you don't want to be in your sin because that's where the condemnation is. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.